0: Chapter 19 of Boy, the Wandering Dog. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Boy, the Wandering Dog, by Marshall Saunders. Chapter 19. Good King Harry. So much for the Bondstones. Now for my own dear family. We are not as high up among the hills as they are. My master bought, not a regular farm like the Bondstones, but what they call a gentleman's estate. It has eighty acres of ground, some woodland, some meadow, a big old-fashioned flower garden, a fine strip of land for vegetables, and a stately old colonial mansion. The house is situated on a bit of rising ground, overlooking the pleasant river valley, just a tiny baby valley, with the slender thread of a river picking its way among the meadows of the greenest grass I ever saw. The house is beautifully, even luxuriously, furnished, but without the foolish expenditure of money. The drawing-room is a dream. We dogs are allowed to go in, if we are quite clean, and if we lie down quietly on the big hearth rug, and do not romp around and shake ourselves. Even if a dog does live in the country, there is no need for him to be careless in his habits. I often tell that to Canny, the dandy Dentmont Terrier, who fell to our lot in the division of the showman's dogs. His coat is dense, hard, and wiry, and it is some trouble for him to keep himself clean. Sometimes he neglects himself a bit between his washings by Lewis, and then I scold him. He is a grey brindle in colour, and a fine, sensible little chap, but inclined to reminisce too much about his trials with the showman. Look ahead, little dog, I often say to him, and not over your shoulder. He never resents my criticism. He is a very docile, courageous, and affectionate dog, and a great favourite with everyone here. Besides Canny, we have King Harry, the best specimen of a bloodhound I ever saw. His magnificent domed head and wrinkled forehead give him an appearance of great wisdom. His eyes are small and deep set, with a third eyelid. His ears are long and fine in leather, and hang close to his kind old cheeks. His muzzle is long, deep, and blunt at the tip, and he has a dewlap in the front of his throat. Oh, what good talks I have had with this noble dog! He has told me the whole history of his race. I never knew before that they are called bloodhounds, because they were used first of all to track wounded animals. They were known in ancient Gaul, and there is distant mention of them in England during the reign of Henry Third. De Soto, in his expedition from Spain to Cuba, brought a pack of bloodhounds with him to subdue the natives. Some of these same hounds were brought to our southern states, and now there are plenty of them there, and they are known as man-trailers so the present American bloodhound is a descendant of the old Spanish kind. King Harry is of an English stock. He says his grandmother, Old Lady Grey, had the longest list of cases to her credit of any dog in America. When I asked him, one day after we first came here, what he meant by that, he said that she had captured thirty criminals, men and women, who had burnt houses or killed someone. How would she do it? I asked him he said he asked his grandmother many times to tell him about the way she was trained and she said that she was one of a litter of five puppies now her owner wished to know which of the puppies had the best nose so he used to approach the tightly boarded side of their yard on tiptoe and put his eyes at a knot hole. oh i see i exclaimed that was to find out which pup discovered him first yes replied king harry my grandmother was always the first to win him, so he gave her special training. When she was four months old, he taught her to lead quietly, neither pressing forward nor holding back on the chain. Next she was taught to follow and to come at a whistle. "'All this was for obedience, I suppose,' I remarked. "'Yes, and to form her character,' said King Henry. "'Next she had to learn to jump in and out of a buggy.' There were no automobiles then, to climb fences, to swim creeks, to get accustomed to the noise of a town, and to become used to strangers, but never familiar with them. She was not allowed to play with children, nor with other dogs, just with her owner, Tim Dobson. When she was eight months old, Dobson took her to the woods. A stranger held her by the collar, and Dobson started off with an old towel in his hand. He kept shaking it at my grandmother, who strained at her collar, and was finally released by this assistant. Why the towel? I asked. To make her anxious to play with it, and to reach her master. This was the overtaking lesson, and it was repeated several times. Then came the lesson in trailing. Dobson hid behind a tree, and when he was out of sight, the assistant released grandmother. As soon as she reached the place where she last saw Dobson, she dropped her nose to the ground. She never had much trouble in owning a trail. What's that? I asked, recognizing the scent of the person she was following. She had a grand nose, and Dobson used to keep bits of meat in his pocket to reward her for quick work. She was taught to bark on trail and bay at hiding places. Then, when she was well educated along this line, Dobson changed places with his assistant— you mean, Dobson ran with her grandmother, and together they trailed the assistant. Yes, Dobson kept changing his assistant, so she wouldn't get familiar with him. She would make him strip off his coat and run, then grandmother would smell his coat. the older the coat, the higher the smell and Dobson would run with her and encourage her to trail him. The assistant used to have other men cross his trail, he would wade in creeks and walk along fences, but grandmother nearly always got him even when she had to work out a cold scent. I would like to have seen that fine Lady Grey, I said enthusiastically. I am said to look exactly like her, said King Harry, with a melancholy smile. But alas, I was stolen when a puppy, and I can only do amateur work at trailing. However, if you just want to see my grandmother, look at me. I smiled, and he went on next thing came the taking up of a trail with which grandmother was unacquainted dobson had the man who was to be trailed go along an old stable with an earth floor he would walk about a few minutes throw down his hat and leave the place in ten minutes dobson would take grandmother there keeping everyone else out let her smell the hat then hunt up the owner how interesting all this is i exclaimed I had no idea such pains were taken with the training of bloodhound puppies. I thought the trailing gift came my instinct. "'Everything that's worth anything costs trouble,' said King Harry. Grandmother said as soon as she learned how to take a trail freely and eagerly, she was entered to horse and man trailing. "'How did they do that?' I inquired. The assistant led the horse thirty yards, being right out in front of him, till so the horse would be on his trail.' he mounted, rode thirty feet, dismounted, led the horse fifty feet, mounted, rode one hundred feet, dismounted, and led. Well, I said, no wonder your grandmother became so clever. Clever, repeated King Harry. She was a marvel. She once followed a trail that was thirty hours cold. Whose trail was that? A poor, crazy-coloured woman. She had sent fire to her house— tried to kill her husband and then ran like a fox to a swamp grandmother followed her from seven o'clock one evening till two in the morning and the poor creature was found more dead than alive and put in a hospital where she subsequently recovered i have heard that bloodhounds are very fierce in disposition but i don't find you so i said some of them used to be made so said king harry but they are really just like other dogs Treat them kindly, and they will treat you kindly, and a bloodhound can be trained not to lay hold of a fugitive. I say, King Harry, I remarked, dogs are wonderful creatures. It's a pity men don't understand better how to utilize them. What gets me most of all, said the dog in his melancholy voice, is the unappreciated devotion of dogs. I heard your master telling the other day of a friend of his who was in Belgium during the late war. He said that no human beings were more faithful than dogs, that the Red Cross animals were simply magnificent, and even the poor house dogs who were left in the Belgian village villages when their owners fled for their lives were so devoted that they sat by their kennels till they dropped dead. Even when food was offered them, they turned their heads away. The poor, starving brutes thought it was right for them to stay by their ruined homes and not to take food from strangers. Don't talk about that war, I cried. Don't talk about that awful war. I'm trying to forget it. Come on down to the village. There's to be a feast in Neighborhood Hall. Good King Harry pricked his drooping ears and ran along with me. This Neighborhood Hall was one of the grandest institutions I ever heard of, but I will tell of it later on, for I want to give an account now of something King Harry did to help along the work Master and Mr. Bondstone were engaged in. End of chapter nineteen.